in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. This Sunday, the fourth Sunday of Ordinary Time, the Church uh, presents us with some very, very rich readings that are worthwhile meditating on because they touch upon very deep truths. The first reading is from the prophet Jeremiah. He is sometimes called the weeping prophet because he lived in a very difficult time during the 6th century in the kingdom of Judah under King Josiah. Well, there were several kings that he was under, but the last king he was under was King Josiah because he predicted the eventual fall of uh, Jerusalem in the year 597 BC. And uh, what's particularly beautiful about this passage is that it introduces us to the vocation of Jeremiah as a very, very young man who's in Jerusalem and the opening words of the book of Jeremiah is, he tells really what happened to him. He says, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were, you were born, I dedicated you. A prophet to the nations, I appointed you. In other words, uh, even before he was born, when he was still being sort of stitched together there in his mother's womb, God already had a plan for him, a purpose for him, a vocation. And that vocation would be to, to point out all the evil that was going on under the kingdom of Judah, because people had started to fall to idolatry, they were worshipping the god of Baal, and they were really living very sinful lives. And he warned that, that any, da any day now, he didn't know how, but any day now, Jerusalem could be destroyed. And indeed, that's what happened. The Babylonians came, they just looted and destroyed the city, and they deported pretty much everybody. They killed most of the men, and then anybody else was left. They just took them off to Babylonia for 10 years. And uh, in fact, they ended up staying there for more than 50 years. And, and so he understands that this is going to happen, and he's trying to warn people of this danger. And that was his vocation, to warn people and to lament the dangers. In fact, he has the Book of Lamentations as well. But what is particularly striking is this account of his vocation. And when we read this, right, the beauty of these, these words that the Lord came to him before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Uh, before you were born, I dedicated to you. He, I had a plan for you, he's saying. These, these words, that account, always fills us with great joy and enthusiasm because it really opens to us the wonders of any divine call. 
and in particular our own, our own divine call. The fact that God has called us, and that this call is eternal, it's free, and that it does not depend on our qualities, our intelligence, our abilities, but on God's free choice. And it's a, it's a choice that God, at one point, reveals to the soul. And that this choice of God is so important, is so fundamental, that it reveals the very purpose of our existence. That is why He formed us in the womb in the first place. And uh, at first, when, the, when Jeremiah heard these words, he said, Alas, Sovereign Lord, I am not, I, I cannot speak, I'm too young. In the original Latin says, ah, 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 nescio quam loquio, or something like that. Right? Like, he says, ah, I can't speak. But the Lord says to him, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and do whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you always and will rescue you, says the Lord. They're very comforting words when he says, do not say I am too young. It's like saying, I have no experience. I won't be good at this. It's too much for me to do, too demanding. And therefore, it's too demanding. Therefore, I will end up being happy or something like that. That's what we sometimes think in front of the call of God, right? I won't be happy. It's not that we say I'm too young with words, but we may think it in some way. And so, you know, we have to ask our Lord now that, that He give us a light to show us what His plans are for us and that in some ways it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Jer- Jeremiah said, I'm too young. But his response in the end was not to refuse that call. He was like Abraham, like Moses, like Isaac, and, and, and later like, uh, like Mary who in particular responded with great humility to God's invitation for her to be the mother of God. For it hadn't been for that yes of Our Lady, the whole process of reincarnation, the incarnation of God becoming man, would have been kind of uh, slowed down. So that leads us now in the presence of God to really reflect more deeply in our prayer here on the sovereign grace of vocation. The sovereign grace. Saint Josemaria called it like a like a ruby eh, that is in our hands. Have you ever seen a ruby? It's all got all kinds of colors and angles, and you turn it around, and it's it's obviously something that is of immense value, and it's quite rare, eh? and it's strong, and it's solid, and it's not something temporary. He describes it as a kind of a light that lights up within us and then kind of sweeps everything away like a sweeping avalanche. You know, you've seen these avalanches where all the snow comes down and even the trees get turned over and anybody who's in the way of an avalanche, I mean, they just get pulled away. And uh, it's, it's something we have to, at one point or another, pray about because everybody, everybody has to face their vocation. And... It's just a beautiful passage here that I always like to meditate on, which dates to 1932 of St. Maria, when he talks about that sovereign grace of vocation. He says, It's a new vision of life, 
as though he said a light had been lit within us and it is at the same time a mysterious impulse a vital force which is somewhat like a sweeping avalanche so it's a, a light that is inside but it's also an impulse like a push like that like that avalanche so in other words it's a grace that in, in, in embraces our whole life it also gives us strength it's a light that we can see the way exactly as God wants that's what happened to Jeremiah he could see the way in that sense and uh, so what is this new vision exactly does that mean you suddenly become really good at calculus you know does it really mean you're suddenly more brilliant and you can get all your exams done brilliantly and uh it's not something that you're simply not told about. It's something that you suddenly see and understand. It's like a click. And this happened once to St. Therese of Lisieux when she was only seven years old. She went to a small town in Normandy in, in um, northwestern France, which is the, it was like on the ocean. It was that, that, first, that was the first time she'd ever seen the ocean. It was a beach resort area. It was a village called Trouville-sur-Mer, Trouville. And if you picture some of the famous paintings by Claude Monet and uh, other painters of that time, the Impressionist painters, they did these paintings of the beach scenes and you would see ladies with these long dresses and they would carry these funny little sun umbrellas that would be sometimes you know popped up or these you know in the in the wind it's very windy area right and you'd see the river up in upheaval with lots of white caps and she looked out into the ocean there first time she's ever seen the ocean she'd just been in a little village before that and there she sees the ocean this massive you know mass of water in upheaval and there in the middle of this ocean she saw a little sailboat like being bounced about <laughs> right and uh, almost like trying to survive and that seeing that little sailboat made her made a deep impression on her because as she saw that she remembered that that she made at that time now she was only seven years old at that time but she remembered that she had made a resolution never to wander far away from the glance of Jesus in order to travel she said peacefully toward the eternal shore in some ways that's what the vocation does it, it allows us to always feel ourselves to be within the gaze the loving gaze of Jesus or the loving gaze of God the Father and we should think, have I received that loving gaze, that loving glance of love, really? And when St. Therese, well, she received her vocation, she always expressed a kind of a surprise at the free choice of God in her life. She was surprised, why would God call me? And, uh, well, we know that God does not call those who are worthy, but simply those who please Him and he does so out of pure mercy. And so, like that boat, she decided to take refuge in the grace of God's merciful choice for her. She thought a lot about, wow, God has chosen me. Hmm. 
And it's a merciful choice. And that, that graphic image of an innocent child being formed in his mother's womb, right? I mean, that's a, that's a very pro-life statement right there. I formed you in the womb of your mother. I knew you, right? So it's certainly not a clump of cells, right? And that's the, that's the standard, very most basic argument, pro-life argument, right? Against those people who say, that's just a clump of cells. It's just a clump of cells. You can say, okay, whatever is in there, uh, if it is growing, it must be alive. Secondly, if what is in there was, has human parents, it must be human. And thirdly, if it is human, well, then it is worthwhile protecting. It has some kind of dignity. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah was very uh, touched by this idea of being formed. And, um, of course, today there's a very limited notion of what the person is. Some say that the child only acquires dignity when the human authorities decide it has dignity or they recognize it as a person. But we have to go back to this idea that we are chosen for a specific mission. Now, what is that specific mission? How do we define it better? And it's beautiful to think that no matter what happens in your life, you do have a mission, and to be faithful to your mission means that you have a purpose. Well, that purpose, we see that in the second reading, which is one of the most iconic readings of the New Testament. It's from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 13, or just the end of 12 and mainly 13. It is often used at weddings. It is often read and contemplated. I recommend you read it because um, it's where St. Paul says, strive eagerly for the greatest spiritual gifts. And there he talks about the most excellent way, which is that of charity. Or love. Some people call it love or charity. And uh, that explains why Jeremiah was set apart. What his mission was. And here, St. Paul explains the hymn to charity, or the hymn to love, because he says, without this, we are nothing. He says, even if we speak angelic tongues, even if we're really smart, or good at what we do, even if we're brilliant, if we lack love, he says, if I lack love, I am a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. I lack love. And so, well, through the, the Apostle, the Holy Spirit speaks to us today about a relationship between us and our fellow men, a kind of, you know, a concept that was very unknown during the pagan world, right? And that, that through Paul is given a new foundation now, this love for Christ, this love for God, and love for our neighbor. Now, this is not to be confused with something like sentimentality or just mere good fellowship, nor with what some, some kind of questionable zeal that, that, that we have that helps us convince ourselves that we are somehow uh, superior to others. St. Josemaria said, rather, it means living in peace with our neighbor, venerating 
the image of God that is found in each and every man or woman and doing all we can to get all others in turn to contemplate that image so that they too may learn how to turn to Christ. Right? So that we, we must imagine, remember how uh, Jeremiah said uh, that he was knit by God in the womb of his mother. Well, that's true for everybody. And so what we, in order to love others, we have to see the image of Christ that is somehow mysteriously present in each person. Remember that story of Saint Therese where she was in the, in the convent and there was one nun that she often ended up working with or praying with that just annoyed her. She said, everything she did just rubbed me the wrong way. The way she sat, the way she talked, the tone of her voice, the way she squeaked her chair, the way she moved, just drove her up the wall, you know, because she must have been an annoying lady, you know, I mean, young woman. She must have been just annoying. I don't know exactly why, but, and, um, and sometimes uh, Therese would have to sit next to her when they did prayers, and, you know, whatever, this, this nun just, she just couldn't take it. And she said sometimes she realized she had to sit next to her, and she just said, I, I just want to flee. I just want to take off. I don't want to be there. You know? But she said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to really be kind to her. I'm going to pull myself together. right?" And then she had to work with her at one point. They were cleaning something or whatever they were doing. And, and she said, every time I see her, I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be pleasant. And she would always say, oh, hello, sister. So, how are you today? How are you? It's nice to see you. I'm so happy to see you. And um, the nun, this other nun would go, uh, yeah, I'm okay. Um, and then finally, after one point, uh, this nun said to her, Sister Therese of Lisieux, of the child Jesus, why is it that you're always so happy to see me? I mean, you know. And Sister and Saint Therese says, Well, I, I, I'm just happy to see you. That's all. I'm just happy to see you. And then she puts in brackets in her text. She says, I was just happy to see Jesus that was hidden inside of her. Mm. In other words, it really transformed her way of speaking, her way of acting, her smile, her moods. Mm. And so, you know, for us, that charity that St. Paul talks about, which I recommend you read there because it's got a lot of depth to it, really is expressed in the virtues that we live. Living in harmony with others. Good manners. Courtesy. Looking others in the eye. And kind of elevate the tone. Because without charity... We, without charity in our life, it's like lacking the principal ingredient when you're making a cake. Cake. It's like lacking flour when you're making a cake. I think you need flour, as far as I know. You need you need flour, right? So uh, imagine you say, "Well, let's just make a cake with baking soda." I mean, yeah, you need baking soda, but I don't know. I've never tried that, but uh, I think you need, you know some flour to make a cake. You'll tell me, but... Uh, and so, um, you know, we, we it just doesn't work if we lack charity. We'll just be like a clashing symbol, as St. Paul says, mm-hmm. that just lasts for a second. Because lack of charity kind of 
ends up dulling our intelligence so that we can't really know God. And we fail to understand the dignity of man. But love does the opposite. It sharpens our focus. It sharpens all our powers. Only love, only charity for God, love for God and our neighbor, for God's sake, prepares and disposes us to understand God and all that refers to Him. That's why the greatest theologians, the, the really good ones, really were saints because they really loved God. I mean, that's what St. Thomas Aquinas, Aquinas was like. I mean, he had, a, he had a deep love of God, but I also had a deep understanding of it. So, do we do little acts of service for the people around us? Do we try to be pleasant? Do we say we're sorry if we've hurt someone? And do we spread peace and joy with those around us? Do we help others on their way to the Lord? Or does it happen that I'm indifferent? I don't care. I don't care about what happens to so-and-so. Who cares? Do I practice works of mercy with the others? Like, you know, never practice works of mercy with, uh, I don't know, the poor or, or the sick. And uh, these are things we can ask ourselves because, because then um, St. Paul goes on to say all the characteristics of what love really is. You know, he says love is patient, love is kind, is not jealous, it is not pompous, it is not inflated, it, does not, it is not rude, it does not seek its own interests, it is not quick-tempered, it does not brood over injury, it does not rejoice over wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Like if we can just one of those things, that we can live that, we begin to live charity. Like, you know, patience. Love is patient, it says. Well, what does it mean to be patient with others? Well, in order to do any good, you know, we have to know how to bear evil or bad things. Like, we have to know how to, how to adv- like, renounce in advance any signs of annoyance, bad temper, or a kind of, kind of sharpness of manner, like brusque, being brusque with other, others. That's, that's a lack of patience. Because if we are patient, that denotes strength and fortitude. And, well, to live charity often demands patience. You know, like, uh, if we are to bear serenely with the defects of others, or maybe even the hostility, or even the suspicion that others may lead us to have, or maybe we have to deal with people who are just always in bad humor. They're angry. So, charity, this virtue, or patience, will, will, will not help us not to give so much importance to the defects of others. We won't, like, freak out at this. Or we won't kind of blow them out of proportion. It will incline us to wait for the appropriate moment, if necessary, to correct them, or, you know, and... Uh, find ways ourselves to improve in that. 
You know, patience is a, is a virtue that will help us really to live in harmony with others. It says love is kind. That, that, what does that mean? Well, it means that we are well disposed to everyone. We're kind. And kindness can only find room in a, a large and generous heart. He says, love is not jealous. Well, what is jealousy exactly? Well, jealousy is when we are saddened by somebody else's good. They get something good, or they, are, they look beautiful, or they have nice clothing, or they are, do well in school, and we're jealous. And real charity rejoices that they have all these things. We rejoice. In fact, many sins against charity flow from jealousy. You know, like scandal or defamation or pleasure in another's mishaps and, and chagrin at his, at his good fortune. Like if, they, if we're tired, we're not happy that they have a good fortune. Indeed, I would say that it's often jealousy that causes friendships to break up, to collapse. And these even fraternal ties with your brothers and sisters to, to, to collapse, to break. It's usually jealousy. It's like a cancer that gnaws away at the harmony and the peace uh, among men. St. Thomas calls it the mother of hatred. That's pretty, that's pretty strong. He says, uh, charity is not arrogant or, or rude. You know, sometimes, you know, Temptations against charity come because we're proud or, or we have a proud attitude towards our neighbor. We somehow think we're better or something like that. And, you know, we can only really serve others insofar as we learn the art of forgetting ourselves. We can't, that's the only way. And, you know, without humility, I mean, charity can't really exist. It doesn't work. It just, you know, it falls apart. And so that's why in many cases faults against charity come preceded by vanity, by pride, selfishness. So, well, we know that we want to have recourse to our Blessed Mother. She will teach us how to love, how to live charity, how to be patient, how to not to be jealous or rejoice at the wrong treat other people with love. She, we could say, is like a teacher of charity. And, um, you know, our Lord said, greater love has no man than this, that, she, he, that he should lay down his life for his friends. That's what he did. Our Lord, he laid down his life for us. And Mary gave also herself to us. She'll pray for us so that this beautiful virtue, this quality, also be present in our life. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.